If you would, let's turn in our copy of God's Word to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. I'm, I'm sorry for <clears throat> dishonoring our, our friend and biblical writer Jude last week when I forgot his book existed. It is the fifth to the last book. No one corrected me until after service, so I appreciate you. First John, near the very back of the Bible. Last week we began our study in this, in this letter. And you heard what John said. I'm telling you about what I saw. I'm telling you what I heard, what I experienced, what I touched. I'm telling you because I want you to have life. That this message I'm proclaiming to you is about eternal life. That you may have fellowship with us and with God, the Father, the creator of all things, with his perfect son, Jesus the Christ. We want that for you. And so we are telling you so that our joy may be complete. So friends, listen. I want to clear something up if there's any sort of misunderstanding here. This is not some meager message. You haven't gathered today to hear about timeshares. You haven't come today because we offered you a free meal. You will not win a car today. No iPads will be given out. There will be no lasers. And if there is smoke, we will leave. <laughs> Something has gone wrong. I will not shave my head if we hit a certain attendance. I would look like a baby eagle. <laughs> You're gathered today to hear the message of life. The word of eternal life. That's what this letter is about. I want you to know God. We want you to know God through Jesus Christ, his son. And so John's writing this letter for us, that we may hear, so that we may believe, and so that we may have life. So if you would, let's stand together. And I want us to read, starting at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the word of our king for us this morning. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And let's pray together. Father, this is your word. So give us eyes to see. Shine light, we pray, so that we may not walk in darkness, so that we may see rightly. Give us ears to hear this message, this proclamation about life. Give us faith to believe. 
Give us humility to confess our sins. Give us trust to know that you are, in fact, faithful and just and will forgive us. It's what we need. Lord, I pray that you would mark this church and this gathering with repentance of our sin and with faith in our only Savior, Jesus the Christ. Do an incredible work this morning. And if there are any here this morning, since there are people here this morning who do not know you, save them, we pray. May they hear and believe the word of life. And it's in the name of the word made flesh, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you. Guys, this is important. What's he going to say? And let's be honest, it's probably not what you expect him to say. This is the message we heard and we're proclaiming to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John often uses this light and dark motive. It's throughout his gospel. I want to just read to you a few places. So in John, the gospel of John chapter 13, it's almost like the rest of the story is just, it's cut off and he goes straight in chapter 13 to the last supper and the crucifixion. He's got this massive focus on that. But I want you to hear his focus before chapter 13. Listen to how this breaks down. So the gospel of John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. In him was life and the life was the light of man. Chapter 1 verses 7 to 9. John the Baptist came as a witness to the light. Chapter 3 verses 19 to 21. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Chapter 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Chapter 9, verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Chapter 11, verse 9, if anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Chapter 12, verse 35, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. Chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You hear it over and over and over throughout Jesus' ministry, throughout John's gospel, there is this light and dark motive. It, think even about John chapter 3, starting right in there where you start seeing Nicodemus come. You start seeing the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and think about how they're described. Nicodemus is a religious man. He's a good man, a righteous man in the eyes of the city. And he comes to Jesus and he hears Jesus. He's confused and he leaves not believing on Jesus. But then you have the Samaritan woman. 
a total outsider, considered probably in any realm to be a, a, an immoral woman. She's the furthest thing you would think from coming to Jesus and believing on him. But she comes to him, she hears his word, and she says, I see you're a prophet. And he says, no, I'm the prophet. I'm the one who was coming to make everything right. And she hears that and she believes on him. Think about how John describes them. When did Nicodemus come? At night, in darkness. When did she come? He says, well, she came at the sixth hour. She came at high noon when the sun was up. He's not just telling you details about when they showed up. He's saying, pay attention to light. Pay attention to darkness. Don't miss what he's telling you. And here we are in, in the first letter of John, and he says, this is the message. This is what I want you to hear. This is what you need to understand. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we need to ask this question, what in the world does that mean? Because the way he's describing this, your life and my life is dependent on understanding. This is the message of life. We probably shouldn't miss it. What does it mean? I've always been fascinated by the book of Exodus. They're, they're just incredible parts of where God comes to his people in slavery and he does these miraculous signs and wonders to free them. But there's something that happens in chapter 34 that I've always found fascinating. By chapter 34, Israel has been freed. Israel is going through the wilderness. God has taken them out and he's provided for them. He's shepherded them. And Moses has come to God at this point and he said to him in chapter 33, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. I want to know you. I want you to bless me by showing me who you are. And God says to him, well, here's a problem. You can't see my face. If you were to see my face, you would die. But what I will do is this. I will pass before you. I'm going to pull my mic back a little bit because it's annoying me, which probably makes me think it's annoying you. I'm going to pass before you and then you can look. And then you will see me, and then I will declare my name to you. And so in chapter 34, God does just this. Moses goes up on the mountain, and we're told that God descends in a cloud and stands with him there, and he proclaims his name. He tells Moses who he is. Now, when you think of God, what do you think of? You think of, and you think rightly that he is powerful, he is holy, he is just, he is majestic, he's ruler, he's sovereign, he's Lord, he's all of those things. He is all of those things. But Moses asks to see God and God says, I will show you and I will tell you who I am. And this is the name that God starts with. Pay attention to this, because this is usually not the way we think of him. Exodus 34, verse 6. You want to know who I am? I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. How many of you, when you think of God, that's what you think of? 
Sure. He's powerful, he's holy, he's sovereign, he's majestic. And when he presents himself to you, he says, I'm merciful, I'm gracious, I'm slow to anger, I'm abounding, I'm overflowing with a steadfast love and I will forgive your iniquity, I will forgive your transgression, I will forgive your sin. Why do I point to that from 1 John? For the same reason that John says, hey, here's the message that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He's saying that so that you and I will know God rightly. So that as you think of him, you are wowed by his mercy. That when you think of him, you're bowled over by his grace that you're humbled by his patience, that you're transformed by his love, that you're secured and held tight by his faithfulness, and that you're sanctified and made more like him by his forgiveness. He is light, he is pure, he is true, he is good, and in him is no darkness at all. What does he mean? That at no point does God tire of being merciful. That at no point does he regret showing grace. That not for a single second, a single millisecond in all eternity, does he reconsider his patience. Does he rethink his love? That there will never be an, a moment in time where God is unfaithful and he would never even consider it. He will forever and always be just. That this is who he is. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Think on it. Meditate on that is why we can sing a song like great is thy faithfulness oh god my father there is no shadow of turning with thee thou changest not thy compassions they fail not as thou hast been that forever will be we're not just singing it because we like the tune especially when i do it we sing it because it's true We sing it because we need to know it. We sing it because we need to be reminded of it regularly. In him is no darkness at all. Not a hint of darkness. And so John says, understand what this means, not just about him, but about you. That if you walk in darkness, then the God who has no darkness does not have you. That if you say you have fellowship with God, but your life is characterized by walking outside of light, outside of purity, outside of truth, that if your days show the fruit of disobedience and dishonor, if your MO is darkness, then John says, you're a liar. You're a liar. 
That if you claim to have fellowship with the God of light, but your entire life is just marked by darkness, guess what? You're a liar. That you lie. That you say you have fellowship with God with your lips, but your life tells a completely different story. You don't practice the truth. Now, guys, look, we're in the South. I don't know if you've noticed, it's about a bazillion degrees outside. We're in the South. Even now, most people claim to be Christian, even when their lives show absolutely no evidence that they know God. They claim to have fellowship with God, but they walk in darkness. Now, some of you are hearing this, and this is what you're thinking. Man, this is judgmental. Who is he to say that? Well, he's already told you who he was. He was there. He saw it. He heard it. He touched it. He was there. Why is he saying it then? Why is he saying this? Because this is the message of eternal life. This is the message of life. There's nothing more important he could say. And the message of life, it doesn't come, it's not heard, it's not understood where there is no understanding of sin. So if your life is characterized by darkness, by disobedience, by impurity or indifference, please keep listening. Don't check out. Part of me hopes you would hear that and you would say, I hope a bud is coming. I hope it's about to switch. That would be helpful. And verse 7 comes, the next verse, and this is what he says, but, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son cleanses us from what? All sin. Is John saying here that if you walk in the light and if you walk in purity and walk in truth and if you come to, have, uh, you come to church and you have fellowship with other believers, then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from your sin? Like, is, is John, because this is kind of what it sounds like, is John giving you a checklist for what you must do, and once you finish this list, bravo, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from your sin. Is that what he's doing? No. He's not right here telling you how to be saved. He's telling you how your life should look when you are saved. He's describing the life of a believer, what it should look like, what should be the fruit of your salvation. What does it look like? It looks like a person who is striving to walk in the light, striving to walk in purity, striving to believe the truth. And when your life is characterized by that, along with the confession that Jesus is Lord and Savior, he's saying that's the evidence that shows the life of a believer. That when your life is characterized by walking in the light, then there's your evidence right there that your confession is true. There's your evidence right there that you've been cleansed from your sin by Christ, that he's at work in you. There's your evidence right there, right there so that you can know you have eternal life. Now a follow-up, a logical follow-up question to this would be this. Does this mean we have to be sinless? What does he mean by walk in the light? Because let's be honest, there are times where 
we are not walking in the light, isn't it? There are times in our life where we're not believing the truth, living in the truth, where we are making decisions we know we shouldn't, where we know what is right and we still choose sin. We all do that at times, don't we? And if you're shaking your head no, your verse is coming. Hold up. We'll get there. We all do that at times, don't we? Yes. So what does he mean? Does this mean we're supposed to be perfect? That we will have no struggles, no temptation, that we will never fail or fall. So John follows that up, answering that question for us in verse 8. If we say we have no sin. And what he's saying is this. If you look at your life and you say, I've done it. I've arrived. I've made it. Look at me. I no longer have sin. If that's how you are, then John says, guess what? You're deceiving yourself. You deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. John's clearly not saying that the way to know you've come to Christ is that you have no sin anymore, that you aren't struggle, that you won't struggle, that you aren't tempted. He says, if that's what you think, then you're deceived and the truth is not in you. Understand the entirety of the Christian life is going to be a battle, isn't it? Uh, For those of us who've been walking with the Lord 60, 70 years, are you still having to fight the fight of faith? Yeah. It's still a fight to believe that what God says is true. It always will be, that there will always be a need for the Christian to be diligent, to be putting their sin, their temptation to death. And if you come to a place where sin is no longer a struggle, if you think that that's what maturity is, that you're going to come to this place where you don't even have to fight anymore, you just overcame it, whoa, you're in for trouble. It will always be this way. If you come to the place where sins, where you think sin's no longer a struggle and that you become mature, John is saying, no, that's not maturity. That means you've forgotten the truth. God's goal with us while we're on this earth is not to bring you to the place where you no longer need Christ. It's not what he's doing. He's not bringing you to the place here on earth where you say, ah, I've overcome my sin. Thank you, Jesus. I got it from here. No, he's always working in you. Always completing what he's began. And maturity in your life doesn't look like standing on your own. It looks like seeing more and more your need of the Savior and understanding even more deeply that he is always there for you. But look, I've got good news for you. If you're one of those people that see your sin in abundance and it's kind of all you can focus on and it just crushes you, it's actually not just good news, it's the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's found in verse 9. It says this, look, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He goes on to say, now if you have not sinned, if that's what you think, if you think, hey, well, I have not sinned, well, you're calling God a liar. His word's definitely not in you. But good news, if that's you, well, that's sin too. So let's go back to verse 9. What do you do? 
What do you do when you see your sin? What do you do when you recognize the depth of your sin? Verse 9, once again, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hear this. God's goal in pointing out your sin through his word and through his spirit is not to crush you down. It's not to bring you to the place where you say, man, I stink. God is not in the heavens saying, you are seriously broken. What's wrong with you? You're a sinner and I don't want sinners. That's not what he's doing and that's not what he's saying. His goal for you is for you to see that he is light, that he is Lord, that he is the Lord, gracious and merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and that when you see your sin, you don't run from him and seek to hide yourself in the fig leaves. You don't tear yourself down and just start piling on yourself with how terrible and how awful you are. You don't think of yourself as nothing, but neither does he want you to say, you know what? I'm going to have a power of positive self-image. I'm going to have self-esteem. No, that's stupid too. Can Baptist pastors say stupid? I just said it twice. Uh-oh. Listen, he wants you to think rightly of yourself. Not less than you are, not more than you are. He wants you to see yourself rightly. And he wants you to see your need. He wants you to see your sin. And then he wants you to run not from him, but to him. He wants you to cover yourself with his grace. To know without a doubt that you can come to him and you can confess your sins. You can. He actually wants you to. And he wants you to know without a doubt that when you come to him and confess, he is faithful. He is just, not only to forgive you of that sin, but to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now, if you're not a church person, even if you are, you might have to say, so what is confession? What does it mean? Um, there, there are times where I think the Greek is helpful, and this is the word, homo logeo. Homo meaning same, probably familiar with that one. Logeo coming off a of logos, word, same word. And the picture of it is this, that you're speaking the same word. That when God comes to you or when his word comes to you to convict you of sin, to show you your sin, confession means that you speak the same word, that you agree with him. That what he says is true, that what you've done was wrong, it was sin, and that you need forgiveness. You don't seek to justify your actions. You don't seek to make excuses for your actions. To confess means you come and you say, you are right, I am wrong. You are God and I am in need of your forgiveness and your cleansing. And what happens when you confess your sin to God? Well, he tells us he is faithful to forgive your sin. He is faithful that he will do it, that he is faithful and in him is no darkness at all, but you need to think on this. He's not only faithful to forgive, he actually finds joy in forgiving you. 
Think about that. He's not only faithful to forgive, he finds joy. He rejoices in forgiving you. We see this picture throughout the Bible and we just skip over it and we think we're the annoying child that keeps messing up. Let me read to you some texts. If you have come to the place where you think God is stingy with his forgiveness, stingy with his mercy, he's slow in it, he's bored by it, he's angered by it, let me just read to you some stories that shows, no, he rejoices in forgiveness. Think about this. Jesus tells this story. Who of you who has a hundred sheep, if he loses one, does not go and find it? And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And then he comes home, And he calls his friends and he says, rejoice with me. I have found my sheep that was lost. And then Jesus says this, I tell you, there's joy in heaven when a sinner repents. There's joy in heaven when a sinner comes to God and confesses what they've done. Or the woman who loses her silver coin. She seeks diligently until she finds it. And she calls together her friends and her neighbors and says, rejoice with me. For I have found the coin that was lost. There is joy before the angels of God over a sinner who repents. Or the prodigal son story. What's the image you get of the father waiting for the kid to come home? You get the picture that that father whose son left him to go just live in sin, to live in rebellion, that when that son comes over the hill that the father was sitting right there on that porch just scanning the distance. That he had done it every day, just waiting for the day that his son was coming back home to him. And when he sees that head crest up that had probably gone through a lot, remember he says, hey, we need to put some shoes on this kid. We need to put some clothes on this kid. Life had been hard in the pig slop. But this son crests the hill and what does the father do? He takes his robe and he tucks it in his belt because that's about the only way you can run. And he runs out to meet his stinky, pig-smelling son. He kisses him, he throws his arms around him and the son tries to say, I shouldn't be your son anymore. He says, I'm not listening to you, we're planning a party. And he calls the servants and he says, kill the fatted calf, get a party, call our friends. The sinner has come in repentance. So if you're seeing those stories that God himself is telling and think that he is annoyed with having to forgive you, you're missing it. The father rejoices when we come to him in confession of our sin. He wraps his arms around us and kisses us with forgiveness. Every one of those stories, dozens more, show you that he's not just doing the duty of forgiving you. He rejoices to do it. That he's so eternally invested in your forgiveness that he, before the foundation of the world, chose to send his own son to purchase that forgiveness for you. That for anyone who will come to him in faith, he freely and joyfully gives forgiveness. What did Jesus come to do? He came to save sinners. He came to forgive and to cleanse the unrighteous. Don't be the fool that says, I'm not that bad, I've got this. I don't need cleansing. 
That's to run from life and to death. But agree with him. Confess your sins. Trust in his son Jesus who bore your sins on his body on the cross. That's the message of life. That's the way to eternal life. And don't say, well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the sins I've committed. Guess what? Neither do you. You have no clue how bad you actually are. Now let's pray, that's the end. It would be a terrible ending, wouldn't it? You have no clue the depth of your sin, neither do I. We are way worse than we think we are. We could never confess every single sin we've ever done. But notice what John says. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, from every sin. He said he is faithful and just to cleanse us, not from some righteousness, but all unrighteousness, all of it. So that's why we sing together, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. That's the gospel. This is the good news that you are worse than you think you are, but God is infinitely better than you could possibly fathom. He is the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Do you know him? Do you know him? Are you trusting in his son for forgiveness? Do you know that he is light? Is there sin in your life that's keeping you from him? Confess it. He is faithful. He is just and he will take joy in purifying you. So let's take time right now to respond to him. How's he dealing with you? How's he calling you to obey his word? How's he calling you to agree with him? Take a moment right now. I'm gonna have the musicians come on up. Take a moment right now to confess silently whatever that is, to trust him, to obey him. Here in a moment, we'll, we'll stand up, we'll sing together, and then I'll be standing right down here. If there's any way at all I can help, I'll be here. But I'm gonna be standing up here doing the same thing you are. Come find me if you need me. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for how you have revealed yourself to us through Jesus, your son, for forgiveness, for grace, for mercy. Where else could we go? God, you alone have the word of life. May we be a people who not only claim to believe that word, but whose lives, whose affections, whose joys are marked, just riddled with the light of life. Lord, convict us where we need it. Lead us to confession and a full-on concrete faith that you are faithful and just to forgive us when we come to you.
Holy Spirit, do what you alone can do, we pray in Christ's name.